Hey everyone, welcome back to A Pace to Fear God. I'm your friend, Anwetawanomeran, and in this channel, we talk about God Almighty, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and their kingdom purpose, which are the three most important subjects we can ever discuss in the scriptures, according to John, chapter 17, verse 3. In saying that, we are going to be talking about the subject, the oxygen of iniquity. Iniquity, as defined in the scriptures, is anything that God Almighty hates. Or, to flip it, there are many things that God likes, such as a child obeying his or her parents. If you read Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, along with a pastor teaching his flock the truth and leading them in righteousness. If you read Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, and there are many more things like that. Anything that goes against those things and everything else that God likes is iniquity. And anyone who devises that is what the Bible calls a worker of iniquity, or an evildoer, or simply put, a wicked person. Now, what does iniquity have to do with oxygen exactly? Well, iniquity has been described in the Bible as a fire. If we read places like Isaiah chapter 9 verse 18, chapter 50 verse 11, and chapter 65 verse 5. And just as we learned in school that there are three things that cause a fire, you need oxygen, fuel, and heat, there are certain things, certain conditions under which iniquity thrives, grows, expands, and engulfs whatever righteousness is there. In this video, we are going to be talking about five of those conditions, five things which tend to lead to iniquity or give room for it to grow and expand before we then proceed to find out how we can be like firefighters and put out iniquity. So the first is fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown is essentially a lack of trust or belief in God that leads to this unrighteous fear of what you think might happen to you in the future. This bad thing that for some reason you fear is going to happen. And then not just that, but you want to now take laws into your own hands to solve this situation. The reason why this is oxygen for iniquity is because Satan the devil likes it when we are under that kind of pressure, under that kind of anxiety. Because by the time he suggests things to us, we'll be more prone to accepting it. And let me give you an example. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26 to 33, you can see that Jeroboam was the king of Israel. He only became the king of Israel because King Solomon had misbehaved by marrying all kinds of Gentile women and worshipping their gods. And so God Almighty did not like that, and he divided the kingdom of Israel. He gave ten tribes to Jeroboam and one tribe to Rehoboam, the king of now Judah. So that was how he got the kingship. Jeroboam did not earn the kingship or get it by himself. It was God who gave it to him. But all of a sudden, by the time he was now king of these ten tribes, he suddenly thought to himself that 
Because the Israelites continued to go to Jerusalem to worship, because that was where the temple was, they were now like King Rehoboam and kill him, that is Jeroboam, so that they could go and become part of the kingdom of Judah again and it would all return to how it was before. God Almighty never told them that any of that was going to happen and it was not going to happen. But because he didn't trust God, he just suddenly had this fear. And then he took laws into his own hands by setting up two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel. And he said, these are the gods which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now you can worship them. That was idolatry. And God Almighty hated idolatry with a passion. If you replace it like Exodus chapter 20 verses 3 to 6 and all that. So the question is, where did that iniquity come from? It came from that fear of the unknown which Jeroboam had, which made him take laws into his own hands. This concept of fear of the unknown is not an old thing, because even till today, you can see that many wars and serious devastating conflicts happen because people just have this fear that if they don't retaliate, or if they don't act in killing other people and destroying things and all that, Something is going to happen. They're going to lose. It is they have self-interest that they want to go for. They have ambitions that they're going to lose if they don't go to war with someone or a nation or whatever. Right? You have this fear of something. And then you need to act by going to war to fulfill whatever interests you have. But Jesus Christ told us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, that we shouldn't have that fear for physical things, What? people might do to us. We shouldn't have that fear. We should have that kind of fear and respect for God Almighty. Because He is actually the person who can make us die and also prevent us from coming back. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear Him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Then the second thing that is always oxygen for iniquity is the love of money. In fact, I don't even really need to explain why, because Paul said it himself. He said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some committed after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But for the sake of giving an example, let's look at the church. Many of us used to know that churches used to be a place where you go to hear a sermon, and if you feel blessed by the sermon, then you give as much as you're willing to give. Just as it was in the Bible. That is, no one forced you to give or told you how much you were supposed to give. You gave what you felt like. Like in Exodus chapter 35, verses 22 and 29, where people willingly gave to the construction of the tabernacle and all the equipment and things needed for it, and also in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 9, where people gave willingly to the construction of Solomon's temple. But you can see now that that has changed a bit, because it gradually moved from there to the churches saying, okay, how do we get more money? So then they started moving the offering plates to the center, and some churches started moving it around to each member so that each individual person can give something. And then it moved from there to the church recommending that is you should give however much money they wanted. And then after that, it became you must. In some churches, you see that you must give this amount. And there were even doctrines created like you're going to go to hell if you don't give money or whatever. Just so that... People could be forced 
or gingered or pressured or lured or whatever into giving money. So the point is, the reason why it shifted from the point where people give willingly to the point where people don't give willingly, whether they want to or they don't, you better just give. That shift is caused by the love of money. So the fact of the matter is, it is the love of money that now prioritizes money in spiritual matters where money is ideally not supposed to be that important because, you know, spirituality is about our heart condition and our relationship with God. If you read places like John chapter 4, verse 24 and so on. So by the time money, which is a carnal thing, is now dragged through the love of money to become a prime matter in church and all that, then that is kind of where we get it wrong. And as Christians, we shouldn't allow that to happen, be it in our own individual lives or even in church. We should keep money as a carnal matter, but let spiritual things be spiritual things. And if we happen to run a church, we should allow our members to give willingly because God Almighty loves cheerful giving. If we read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Then the third thing that can be oxygen for iniquity is ignorance. Satan the devil can only do his work if you don't know he's doing his work. If you have knowledge of what he's doing, then it's not going to work because by the time he suggests his candy, his ideas to you, then you'll just reject it and that's where it is. That's why James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you, according to James chapter 4 verse 7. Ignorance is about not knowing the implications of something that might be wrong or the advantages of something that might be right. You won't know the difference because of ignorance. And Satan, the devil, likes to use that to plant his seeds of iniquity. Let me just give you an example. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 1-20, to you can see that King Rehoboam, when he had become king, the children of Israel had come to him saying that we don't want the yoke of Solomon to continue in your reign. We want you to be like a servant to us and we want, don't want you to oppress us and so on. So King Rehoboam wanted to know how he should respond to those people. So then he went to the elders, those who had served with Solomon and asked them, how should I respond to these people? And then the elders told them, respond the way the people want you to respond. Tell them that you are going to be like a servant and you're going to decrease their yoke and so on. But because of King Rehoboam's ignorance, he forsook that advice. And then he went to the people who were his mates, who grew up with him. And then he asked them what he should say to those people. And then they gave him nonsensical advice. They told him, you should tell the people, my finger is going to be thicker than your father's loins. And if Solomon, my father chastised you with whips, I am going to chastise you with scorpions. And for some weird reason, Rehoboam accepted that advice and he went and told the children of Israel that advice. And of course, he did not know what was going to happen. But instead of the children of Israel listening to that, they just said, we have no place in Rehoboam or in David. So they went and that was how Jeroboam became king in the first place. So it's ignorance that leads to such things. You not knowing the consequences or implications of something before you do it. And there are other examples of ignorance too. If you look out for Samuel chapter 8 verses 1 to 8, you can see that the Israelites had asked for a king. Samuel tried to inform them that 
If you have a king, he's going to take your fields and he's going to take your sons to be his servants and his soldiers and he's going to take your daughters to be his maids and he's going to take everything that you have to enrich himself. But the Israelites still accepted that and they said, oh, he's going to be fine and we want that so that we can be like other Gentile nations. And if we look at how the kingship all ended, it ended horribly when Zedekiah's two eyes were plucked out and they were brought into Babylon because the kings had messed up and made the land idolatrous, all kinds of terrible things that had happened, that the kings had caused. What we should understand is that ignorance prevents us from seeing the future, from knowing what we should do for better lives. And that was what Paul had told us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not, as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. He was saying that we are alienated or separated from eternal life because of ignorance. Then the fourth thing that is always oxygen for iniquity is what I like to call the bandwagon effect. The bandwagon effect is essentially being lured into what God Almighty doesn't like because a lot of people are doing it. It could be friends asking you to do something that you know is bad, but you get sucked in because of the peer pressure and all that. Or it could be people inviting you to do something that you know is not good, like exploiting people and all that, but you join because other people are asking you to do it. So that is the bandwagon effect. And King Solomon described it well in the first chapter of his book, Proverbs. If you read Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 to 19, but we'll just look at it from verses 10 to 16. He said, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find our precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. He went on to say more things about that subject. A good example of someone falling into iniquity because of the bandwagon effect was Aaron, if we read Exodus chapter 32. If we look at verse 1, the Israelites, after waiting for a long time for Moses to come down from the mountain, they suddenly came to Aaron and said, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we watch not what has become of him. So, the Israelites were putting pressure on Aaron to conform to the iniquity that they wanted to happen. They wanted to now become idolaters. But Aaron was supposed to be a good leader, just as his brother Moses was, by saying, no, 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 God Almighty doesn't like that, and we're not going to do that. But he conformed to them. He yielded to them because of the bandwagon effect, and then he constructed that golden calf. If we also look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, we can see that God had also told the Israelites that if there is anyone, doesn't matter who it is, be it your family member, your friend, your relative, whoever, that entices you to worship other gods, 
that same bandwagon effect, trying to lure you into something. Don't even bother to think about, oh, is it my family member? Is it my friend? Forget about how close they are to you. Just execute the judgment upon them. And when they are to be stoned to death, you throw the first stone before those of the society now finish stoning that person to death. It was a very serious matter. When someone wanted to lure you away from serving God so that you can serve other gods, you cannot fall into that bandwagon. You just have to execute the judgment and let that iniquity be put out. That is not only an example of how you put out iniquity, but it also shows the bandwagon effect and how God Almighty had said, don't fall into it. When someone entices you, don't allow yourself to fall in, but put out that iniquity. Now, the final or the fifth thing that is always oxygen for iniquity is spiritual carelessness. Spiritual carelessness is essentially when something that requires discipline, that requires training, you know, that requires effort and attention and focus, we kind of throw caution to the wind and we don't really care about what happens to it. This is especially important if we're parents, because as King Solomon said, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, according to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. So it requires training, it requires education, that is spiritual education, to try to make them know about how Satan works, how iniquity works, and how righteousness works, so that they can have a good understanding of what they should do in their lives, so that they can please God in adulthood. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, God said that we should train up our children by teaching them about his ways when we rise up and when we sit, you know, all over the place, all the time. We should be telling them about it. And King Solomon said, train up a child in the way he should go. So when he's old, he will not depart from it. If you read Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Now, where does spiritual carelessness come in? Spiritual carelessness comes in when we tell ourselves, eh, my children will figure out how they should live their lives, and then we begin to take jobs that prevent us from having time to raise them properly, and we begin to hang out with friends when we're supposed to be with our family, and we generally throw caution to the wind. We don't really know what's going to happen until later when they become adults, they don't know how to serve God, they don't know how to live good lives, and then we begin to wonder, how did that happen? It's because of those kinds of decisions. This happened in the Bible. If we look at the story of Eli, we can see his sons became worthless because Eli did not take the time to prevent them from getting into iniquity. Eli was the high priest and his sons were to become priests as well. But because Eli was spiritually careless, his sons became vile. And by the time they became priests, they were sleeping with the women who were coming to the tabernacle and they were exploiting the people who were bringing sacrifices. So they were doing all kinds of bad stuff. And what God Almighty hated was that as that iniquity was happening and it was growing, Eli did absolutely nothing about it. In fact, he probably profited from what his sons were exploiting the people for. And if you read for Samuel chapter 3, verse 13, God Almighty said that he would judge Eli's house for that. He said, if I have told him, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth. 
because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. That is spiritual carelessness, and God Almighty actually did judge them up to the fifth generation when Abiathar was taken away from his priesthood because he was a descendant of the house of Eli. This is iniquity and the different things that kind of feed oxygen into it, that allow iniquity to grow, spark, and engulf whatever righteousness is there. But how can we be like firefighters who see that kind of fire growing and we put it out? How can we see iniquity before it's really taken root and we prevent it from growing? Well, the apostles did it in Acts chapter 6 from verses 1 to 4, so we can learn from them. If we look at the account, we can see that there was an argument that was gradually rising between the Hebrews and the Greeks. The Greeks felt that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food that would happen. Now, that obviously had nothing to do with the ministry and spirituality and all that, but it was becoming very important, and the apostles, being spiritually sound as they were, noticed that. And they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And so they appointed a committee that dealt with such matters so that they could continue with their spiritual work and not be distracted. That is how you put out iniquity before it grows. You pay attention to what's happening and you make the correct decision. Another good example is in Joshua chapter 22. Now, in this particular example, there was no iniquity actually being committed, but it was what the Israelites thought was happening and the urgency and the seriousness and the way they wanted to take action is what we can learn from. In the account, we can see that the children of Reuben the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, after they had finished fighting for the land of their fellow Israelites, they now returned to their own land, and they wanted to build an altar. Not an altar that they would sacrifice on, but just one that would allow the other Israelites on the other side of the Jordan River to now not forget about them and think, oh, these people are not Israelites, they're not children of God. So they wanted to make sure that in the future, people would still know that they belonged to God and all that. So that was why they built that altar. However, God Almighty had said that there had to be only one place where he was worshipped. If we Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 5, not in different spots all over the place. So it was one place where the tabernacle was. And that place was not where the children of Reuben and so on were building. So when the Israelites had heard that they were building an altar, and they had thought that they were going to build it so that they would worship and offer stuff there, they didn't even bother to wait for details or any other thing. They just said, okay, iniquity is going to happen. So they mobilized and were going to fight them. And by the time Phinehas, the priest, and some other Important people went there to find out what had really happened. That was when the children of Reuben and the children of Manasseh and so on had explained to them that, hey, hey, this is not about sinning against God. We just want to make sure that in the future, people don't come and think that we don't belong to God. We want people to remember that we belong to God. And so we're building this altar so that that can happen. And once they had explained themselves, Phinehas and the other people were pleased and then they went back. 
But the important thing is the urgency. The, how serious it was when they had heard that iniquity was supposedly going to be committed. They were very urgent about it. And they rushed to go find out what happened so that if iniquity was to actually be committed, they would put an end to it immediately. What I want us to get from all these different stories and texts and examples that we've looked at in this video is the fact that just as a physical fire, when we talk about fire, it's not a joke, right? It's a serious matter because it can be life-threatening and we need to know what to do to put it out. Iniquity is also a very serious matter because it is also life-threatening to our spirituality. So we need to know what to do to put it out. But everything we've looked at was in the past. Now we need to look at our current times and see how iniquity might be developing in our time too, and if so, what we need to do to put it out. God Almighty had told us through the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, to that at the time he would put his son in office so that he would remove Satan's works from the earth. If we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 28, and Psalms chapter 110, verse 2, iniquity would abound. It would become very abundant. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. You can see blasphemers in the educational system, for example, where people are teaching that there's no God and we came by ourselves, which is against the Bible's position that God Almighty created us. If you read Psalm chapter 100 verse 3 and Isaiah chapter 45 verse 12 and so on, then he went on to say disobedient to parents. You can see that often that many kids these days are not respecting their parents, but think that they should be able to do whatever they want in their households and so on, which does not follow the tenets or principles of scripture, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers. You can see it on the news often that people are accusing their fellow neighbors of things that they didn't do, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. You can see that the way people in a soccer or football stadium are excited. If you mention church or God to them, they won't get excited that way. So it's like lovers of carnal matters more than lovers of their own spirituality, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. So, we can see many of these iniquities happening, and not just happening, but being institutionalized. Institutions are now set up to not only allow those iniquities to grow, but also to rope as many people into them as possible. So if we can see these own things happening and even showing up in our families or in our relationships or in our own space, then I think it's a good idea to use the scriptures to have a way of putting that iniquity out so that we can remain separate from the iniquity that is growing in the world. Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, that we should be aware of the time we're living in and be circumspect. See then that ye walk circumspectly, 
not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And that is where I'm going to stop on discussing that subject, the oxygen of iniquity. To conclude this video, let us hear a tune that some of us might enjoy. <laughs> Now, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this insight. We pray that you give us of your Holy Spirit so that we may learn to do your commandments as stated in the scriptures. All to your honor, glory, and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Have a great day, and God bless you. Oh, one more thing. If you like what you heard today, feel free to share a message at https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Once again, that's https colon double slash anchor.fm slash it pays to fear God slash message. Hope to hear your wonderful feedback.